We must search for what is truth. You doubt me. Seek proof. What is truth? And what is God? The first duty is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. Then here is the proof you seek. You don't really want an answer to that question. Welcome to the AXPX Podcast, honest conversations about faith, doubt, disbelief, hope, and everything in between. I am your host, Sean DeRager. I want to thank all of you for listening to the show. We are wrapping up our series, Processing Belief Through Music. This is part three, and I've just had a blast putting this series together, and I'm very honored to have interviewed T.W. Walsh, uh, Derek Webb, and then now David Bazan. I do encourage you, if you haven't listened to the last two episodes, please do before you jump into this one. There's just some fantastic conversations and really do set up this series nicely into uh, this discussion with David Bazan. If you're a fan of this podcast and you want to help support us, please check out our Patreon. It's only a dollar a month and you get an extra bonus podcast called the AXPX Diaries. It's a weekly podcast where I basically lay out kind of my thoughts and uh, my struggles as I'm going through this uh, this faith journey. And it's something a little more personal and gives you a little more insight to what my life is like and my thought process on, on certain things. And I hope it's something that is valuable to everyone who listens. Now, the past couple episodes, I have given everyone an opportunity to call in to a voicemail line um, I'm going to play a few more voicemails in, re- in response to the question, how has music helped you process your faith, your doubt, or your disbelief? So I'm going to play that in just a second here. But if you want to use this voicemail line to drop in any questions at all, any comments about the show, that would be fantastic. The number is 951-723-5586. Um, that'd be a fun way for us to converse and for me to hear your questions or comments and be able to respond. You can also drop me a line on Twitter at the AXPX. Let's jump into this week's show. Hey, this is Liam O'Donnell from uh, the Punks podcast. Uh, I'm going to send this question. You know, how has music helped me process my faith, doubt, disbelief? Um, and honestly, music was probably one of the first places I encountered any of these things, uh, whether that was faith through, uh, you know, works by Christian bands or even in popular music. Some songs really sort of talked about some level of faith, but also even before that disbelief, uh, in punk and hardcore, you know, um, when Kraft says Jesus died for his own sins, not mine. That, that really resonated with me too. So it was already a sort of conflict. And then as I got older, um, that kind of space in between where, um, you really aren't sure what to think and you're more just looking for voices that inspire you or encourage you to be something more, or to think something more. Uh, music was also a source for that. Um, maybe in more complicated ways, maybe from artists who didn't even know they were inspiring that kind of thought. Um, but, Honestly, all that intellectual work came through music, but the place in which I think music moved me the most 
was actually in performance in a in a worship context. Even if I wasn't sure what I felt or what I believed in church, certain songs, uh, especially in a church that wasn't bound to traditional uh, church music, which you know, no offense, but it doesn't work for me. Um, even in those places, uh, there was there was some music that really reached out and affected me a lot. There's been a lot of times in my life that all different kinds of music has pushed me to different limits and um, all different types of doubts have definitely come into my mind and everything from classical music to just hard rock. (laughs) But when it comes to doubt, it just seems hear the challenges from other people um, through the ages definitely boosts my faith. Uh, there's a book, it's, it's called The Singer. It relates Christ as a singer and his life. And when I read it, it, it kind of helps me remember that through music is life, and through life is people's struggles and people's real life, and that helps me understand the process doubt. It helps me process to know other people are going through the same things I am. This is Zari from the band Switchblade Saturdays. Um, my take on it is I would definitely say it's more faith um, with music, the fact that it can bring you back to better times. It's almost therapy um, for the lost, I think. Um, I think music speaks to the lost and also just in general how it changes your opinion on everything. Like you can preach through it, you can um, get, tell stories um, and it literally brings people back from the dead. So I guess that's my opinion on it, is the fact that it shows faith and more apparent than ever, really, in its universal language. Hey, Sean, Derek Hefner here. Uh, just wanted to throw in uh, some of my own perspective and how music has helped me uh sort through kind of my issues with the faith, especially since your guest, David Bazan, is one of the artists that um, has definitely spoke to that for me and kind of helped keep me honest through the whole process. You know, I've been listening to him since I was a Christian many, many years ago, and as I started undergoing the process of, uh, you know, deconstructing and reconstructing my faith and then to get to where I'm at now, which... you know, is currently kind of in a place where I I can see some value in uh, religion, uh, but at the same time, I think that the the literal interpretation of it is is the source of a lot of problems. Uh, But something that that his music has done for me is, uh, you know, there are a lot of of, uh, specific verses or specific lines that that kind of work uh, in much the way like a Zen Cohen works, you know, uh, it, it kind of 
activates this cognitive dissonance that you have to face. Uh, you know, it pulls that doubt out and makes you face it. And, and uh, uh, you know, my, my personal, one of my favorite songs of his is Magazine off of the Control album. And, uh, I mean, the whole song lyrically is just kind of a touchstone for me whenever it comes to this stuff. But uh, particularly, um, you know, the I feel the darkness growing stronger as you cram light down my throat. How does that work out for you and your holy quest to be above reproach? That right there, that is, it, 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 it uh, just touches on something that um, you need to face the truth in that. You know, rather than wear a mask, try to be above reproach, the whole time you're doing that, you're actually pushing people further away. And, um, you know, then moving on to like Curse Your Branches, that whole album, the whole concept of, okay, God, I believe you exist, but this is why I have a problem with you. You know, there's so many ways that his, his music has spoken to me. Uh, thanks, Sean. I didn't seek out David Bazan's music. David Bazan's music found me. When Page of the Lion hit the scene, I was knee-deep in whatever punk rock I could find. Laid-back acoustic music with a hint of melancholy wasn't on my musical agenda at the time. Oh, go ahead. Put on some old sad bastard music. See if I care. After I graduated college, I'd been through my share of confusion and heartbreak. Dashboard Confessional had to run its course, and I was in a frustrated place between organized religion and my own budding personal beliefs. During that time, I heard the following lyric. I hear that you don't change How do you expect Keep up with the trend You won't survive the information age Unless you plan to change the truth To accommodate the brilliance of men The brilliance of men With that lyric, David Bazan found me. It took some time, some conversations, and more life experiences for Pedro the Lion to move from a casual part of my listening arsenal to something deeper and more profound. I'd listen to his albums and discuss some of his more poignant Christian-tinged lyrics with friends over coffee at the local coffee shop. Then, Control hit. This is how we In this small Tulsa coffee shop, across the street from Oral Roberts University, conversations turned to this Christian album with salty language and a story about a man's sexual affair spiraling into inevitably violent consequences. Some were offended, some were intrigued. One even went so far to call David Bazan a prophet. I was simply taken with the raw honesty on display on this album. A few years later, I became an atheist. My brother-in-law died in October of 2006. While his father stood in front of a church, 
interceding for his son's safe return back to God, Jake had found solace in alcohol, and one night, he had one too many. It would prove to be a fatal mistake. As his body surrendered his spirit, I saw my once joyful wife, sister-in-law, mother-in-law, and father-in-law reduced to complete devastation and horror. What kind of a God would do this to his beloved followers? I saw a family completely destroyed. I was done with God. This struggle stayed inside me as I lived a double life, a Christian on Sundays and around my family, but inside an angry unbeliever, alone with my thoughts. David Bazan found me again. Between 2006 and 2009, Bazan had come forward with his doubts about Christianity and his album Cursor Branches chronicled his fall out of faith. I didn't know his personal story, but I read an interview with him that turned my world upside down. I didn't feel so alone anymore. Someone else was going through the exact same doubts and frustrations I had been going through for the past few years. It was cathartic and it was moving. I've since moved from atheism to more of a spiritual yet agnostic viewpoint, but Bazan's music continues to feed my soul with each new album. His album, Care, is out right now, and I recently had the opportunity to talk to David Bazan about his new album and his journey. She almost can't spit out the question After uh, after long last and me chasing down his manager like a crazy person, David Bazan joins me here on the AXPX podcast. Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Sean. Thank you. First of all, I've got to uh, congratulate you on the album Care. It's awesome. This has been a great year for music. T.W. Walsh with a new record, you with a new record, and John Moreland with a new record, and then... Uh, your upcoming side project, Low Tom. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a pretty, uh, pretty damn good year for music, that's for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. There's, thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, there's a lot of music out right now. A lot of really big bands with new records, Spoon and Flaming Lips and Granddaddy, and you know, there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot happening. The new um, Kendrick Lamar record is insane. Oh man, I know, right? <laughs> In my conversation with Derek Webb, um, him and I talked about a moment when he was at an airport getting ready to board a plane, and he was listening to your live acoustic of Oblivion, which you guys put out as a kind of Kickstarter bonus for everyone who uh, financed the documentary that's uh-huh, uh-huh. going to be finished here. Hello again, Oblivion. Can you find the frequency while the specters hover with 
he tweeted out that it moved him to tears. Like, you know, thanks a lot for making me cry in a, in a public airport kind of kind of tweet. And uh, I, I thought that was really funny, especially coming from, from Derek Webb. And personally, you, your music and John Moreland, for some reason, you guys can reduce me to freaking to a bawling plate of blubber <laughs> with some of your songs. And um, it doesn't happen often, but when it, but for some reason, you guys uh, can tap into a certain... You know, uh, just a, a certain level of of the struggle, I guess, that some of us go yeah. through. What's your initial reaction when people let you know that they're like moved like that to your songs? I know you, you tweeted back, "Sorry," <laughs> you know. Um. Well, I mean, I'm moved by music that way. Um, uh, you know, certain songs will just kind of hit me. Um. And it doesn't even have to be music that I that I like all the way. Um, like uh, I remember one time, I think I was in, yeah, I was in Oklahoma. I had just gotten play done playing a house show in Oklahoma City the day before, and I stopped in this little diner uh, to have some breakfast. And um, some song, and I have never sought it out, but a song came on the the you know the the radio or whatever the speakers at the restaurant that was a country song that they were trying to make you think that he, this guy was lamenting seeing his girl with somebody else and how it was kind of hard for him to see his girl with somebody else. Look at the two of you dancing that way, lost in the moment and each other's face. So much in love, you're alone in this place. Like there's nobody else in the world. And then the chorus kicks in, and they, they've set the stage pretty good, and you realize that he's talking about his daughter, mm. and that she's like grown up and maybe getting married or something, I don't know. And like for some reason, it just struck me, and like I sat there in the. I mean, I, I was sitting there, and I realized, oh no, like this is happening. Like I'm in this. I'm in a kind of a small diner. And I'm just going to, I'm falling apart right now. And so I thought I'm going to stood up pretty quick. And I went to the bathroom, two benefits to that in my mind, one being, you know, people don't, aren't going to see me lose my shit. And then two, <laughs> I'll probably be able to escape the song, um, hearing any more of the song because the, it, uh, you know, it, that might bring some relief too. If I had to hear it more, it might you know, I might go further down that road. Right. So I get to the bathroom and like the song is so loud in the bathroom. It's a single <laughs> bathroom. And I, so I'm just like in jail with this song, like blaring in my face. Basically it's like a low ceiling and they've got like one of those little speakers in the, in the ceiling and it's just pounding in there. And so, I, I mean, I just, I mean, I just lost it totally. It tapped into some, some anxiety or grief or something that I was, feeling and uh, so yeah i mean i have music is just a it's a powerful thing and so yeah. i don't it doesn't strike me that it means that i write particularly emotional songs or or that the songs are even good if they t touch people that way <laughs> um because this wasn't a song that i enjoyed mm -hmm. as you know the craft of it was uh was good enough to bring me to that place but there were a lot of aesthetic choices all of the aesthetic choices were offensive, you know, <laughs> um, to me. So my takeaway is that 
what I hope I'm doing is just that I'm I'm representing something real that mm-hmm. is happening with me that I'm that I'm yeah that 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 I'm representing something real yeah and so to me that means that people who find themselves mo- even momentarily in the same headspace or or facing a similar set of emotions or even if just a set of emotions that are evoked by the song that I didn't have any intention of evoking you know that's how music works too yeah that it touches something individually uh, that the artist might have no idea was even a part of that thing. So, I, yeah, I'm grateful to be a part of the the conversation, um, that there are people who I respect who hear my tunes and feel something or, or it, it evokes something true for them. That's amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's... I think that all music is kind of capable of that. Um, and that we're all just like these idiosyncratic collections of trauma that get unlocked occasionally <laughs> by <laughs> a, a song, you know, yeah. and I guess too, like I, I kind of hover around that stuff. Like I'm, I guess I'm working out my own trauma a little bit more than, than maybe some other songwriters are. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so maybe I'm, I'm hovering around, the themes that are more likely to hit people in that way. Um, that's not a positive or a negative. I don't think that's just what I, what I tend to do. I do the same thing. My wife and I are always uh, struggling with the, uh, we're fighting over the radio or I guess our, our, our iPhones now trying to pick something because I'll tend to lean more towards the melancholy, melancholy <laughs> you know, yeah. stuff like that. And she leans more towards more upbeat, you know, something that she can dance to something like that. So definitely, uh, I'm definitely the same way. You should put on fascination street by the cure sometime. Cause you can definitely dance to that. Nice. <laughs> and it'll scratch the melancholy itch too. Well, I mean, that's why the, your new album was is great because there's a little bit of of both in in yeah, the album, that's and true. you know, yeah. But then, but she immediately recognized your voice, and she went, yeah. "Oh no, not this guy!" <laughs> yeah, not him. He's so sad. <laughs> I was like more of a casual fan of Page of the Lion back all the way back to the Tooth and Nail days. I know friends who who loved your who loved Page of the Lion mm-hmm. uh, were always talking about your music. Um, but then you released the album Control, and that album knocked me on my ass a little bit because I was working in the Christian music industry at the time, and then uh-huh. seeing like the controversy kind of boil over about uh, about that that album and the honest the honest language you were using in it, and then when I saw you at Cornerstone that year, I think it was that year, and you made some candid remark about you had to change certain lyrics to certain songs. Was it a, it was, I was on the main stage playing yeah. that year. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, my comment might've been, um, too vague as my comments <laughs> often are. Um, I chose not to, um, use, you know, I guess what people would say were the off color words, right. shit, come fuck, <laughs> um, uh, on, both times I played the main stage at Cornerstone, mm-hmm. um, I censored myself. Okay. Uh, the thinking was, and and I I guess I was I stayed consistent with this thought because the 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 next year after the, our two main stage appearances that we played in Encore One, a smaller 
um, midnight show, you know? Uh So we played on the main stage where there are families who camp out with their kids all day to see whatever's on the main stage. Gotcha. Um, And so I just thought, you know, there are my fans here who have walked over from the other, you know, section of the festival, but there's a lot of these other people here. And I think that I, um, can get my, you know, if, if my concern about being censored is that somehow the point won't come across, Uh um, I thought that was not a concern. Okay. My, the point is coming across the whole time I'm singing because, (laughs) um, I just, I can't, I mean, I just am about what I'm about, what I'm about. And so yeah. it didn't strike me that I was somehow being muzzled because I okay. couldn't say shit or come. Okay. Um, I thought, I think that people, you know, the song Indian summer really makes its point regardless uh, of saying the word come. Right. Um, right. So that yeah. was my thinking uh, there. And I'm, I'm also curious. Um, I got some of the controversy, uh, I mean, there were people who talked to me at shows every night, but what did it seem like? But, but I don't, I, I never get to be hip to, to <laughs> what actually is happening. I mean, I was, I was working for a band, they're called Pillar, and they were touring around with like Skillet and Tate and all the, you know, the, you know, the, the mainstream Christian guys, right? So they weren't really listening to my, the music I was listening to. So I was always, I don't know if it was online or certain people I talked to or other youth pastors that I would talk to at these shows. I mean, one time I got a youth pastor mad at me because I was wearing a Cinderella t-shirt, you know, oh, so, that's funny. Right. so kind of hearing that kind of stuff. And then I think there were some articles, um, you know, maybe stating, I don't think it was anything big. I mean, I wasn't paying attention because at the time, like I was working in the Christian music industry, but I was like not listening to Christian music. Yeah. So. Well, that's a, it's a funny scene because you get to some place where there's like maybe a dozen youth pastors or whatever, and they all have different levels of, um, well, you know, they all have different different degrees to which they pre- try to prevent their students from listening to secular music, basically. And I really lucked out because in high school, uh, my youth pastor. He, I mean, when somebody asked him about uh, about secular music, he just said Christian music sucks. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I, he liked Phil Kagi and like a couple of other people, but he's like, by and large, like there's nothing good to listen to. So why would I tell you guys to do that? Like just seek out things that you connect with, you know. And that was a, I mean, that was in a in a in assemblies of God Pentecostal, you know, church. I just lucked out and had a, a remarkably sane and helpful youth pastor. Uh, but I know that culturally, if you walk into a situation like, you know, where there's a, a bunch of people there, there's going to be people who are mad. You know, I, I played a show in Nashville. Um, maybe it was after Control or Achilles Heel. And uh, during the Q&A, a guy who was a, maybe the buyer at a local Christian bookstore um, the music buyer, he got mad at me and he said, you should have give, given us, you know, the public some indication that you're no longer a Christian because here I am buying your records for the store thinking that you're a Christian band. You know, he's putting this on me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then a customer comes up to me and is really mad because you say, um, these, this foul language on your record. And uh, 
So I understand, I understand where some of that stuff's coming from. And I understand the flavor that it, yeah, you know, this, that it kind of takes on. Um, and it's funny. Yeah. Well, the self-imposed stuff is what I find really, uh, ironic in a way how people put Christian art, quote unquote, Christian artists right up on a pedestal. I mean, uh, for a while I, was, I remember I was, there was a, a Christian bookstore that was selling U2 albums, you know what I mean? Cause someone yeah. must've, cause, Oh, there's some vague, you know, Christian references here. Let's buy the music for well, the store. There's a really strong undercurrent of there, or there was when I was growing up a strong yeah. undercurrent of Christians, especially sort of uh, progressive Christians trying to kind of claim you two as a Christian band. <laughs> um, and uh, I understood what they meant, but I always thought there was something dishonest or kind of mm-hmm. tr- uh, unnecessarily tribal about that. Like they're ours kind of thing. Like they speak for us or whatever. There and I just think like, just I don't know. That just it just seems yeah it seems tribal in a funny way. But at the same time, like I that that whole world is just a mix of different sort of purity um, sort of codes. I went to try to buy a scattered few record in Phoenix when I was a kid called Sin Disease. And the bookstore person, the the music, the person in charge of the music section informed me that they don't carry their records because the last time they came to Phoenix, they played in a bar. Mm. Um, I think it was 11. And, uh, and I remember leaving there thinking like, I don't understand. I don't really have an argument for why I think that guy's a prick and (laughs) wrong, but I just felt it in my bones, you know, just like. That's like the footloose dude or something like it's just there's it's it's puritanical authoritarian just, you know, nonsense that finds its way into the music, um, the Christian music industry. Another artifact, you know, I got told when I tried to play somebody Petra when I was a kid that it sounded to them like the message was getting lost in the music. Um, and, uh, I also had that same kind of bone deep feeling of like, ugh, this person is not, not really after the same thing. No, is he tribal and dishonest and fearful? I mean, I even had someone at one point in in this Tulsa, Oklahoma coffee shop, and we were talking about your music and everything, and uh, you know, he came up and said he was, "Oh, David Bazan's a prophet." <laughs> Oh boy! And I was like, "Oh my God!" And as soon as I saw, you know, the trajectory of your career and Cursor Branches came out, I always think about that guy. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder what direction he thought the, you know, your prophethood or whatever took a turn for. But, yeah. um, but I mean, the, all, all this to to ask you basically, like, so you've wrestled with kind of being on this on this Christian pedestal and everything, and it's not your fault. That's that's the the funny thing about it, but. Um, when you began working through your own personal doubt with, as you were closing down praise of the lion and, and mm-hmm. starting to do your solo writing, like how did that affect your songwriting? Cause uh, when I was speaking with T.W. Walsh, he said that the page of the lion stuff was very much story driven. Uh, and, but you started getting a little more autobiographical uh, moving into your solo stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that a fair uh, assessment? I think so. Um, yeah, I think that Pedro stuff is majority 
kind of fiction character driven um, and Bazan stuff is mm, majority. I think that the auto there basically, I think I learned how to let bits of autobiography into the songs without them needing to be purely autobiographical. Whereas with Pedro, I, I didn't, I don't know. I kind of, yeah, I just tended to include fewer autobiographical details, but I always tend to say, I say this and I feel, I feel it that, um, you know, it's assumed that autobiography is more personal than fiction or character driven stuff. Um, and I just don't think that that's the case. I think that sometimes there are things that if you were only expressing your autobiography, your autobiography, there are aspects of your thoughts and your feelings about the world and, uh, that just would not get represented because they're not a part of the happenstance of your life. Um, and so, um, I think after Pedro, I learned to basically continue to write fiction in a way, but including a lot more autobiographical details in it so that, um, I'm just thinking if I can think of an example, cold beer and cigarettes was the first one where I really kind of became comfortable messing with that, um, with the line between fiction and autobiography and realizing that I didn't have to, I didn't have to, that I could include autobiographical details or, or thoughts that I, feelings that I had that are flowing from me in a narrative about a character that isn't me. Um, and that those two things that I can sort of like freely just, just do that. And so that was the first time I did it. And I think that I've been continually just messing with, or not even messing with it. It's just the, that, that, that set of obstacles just went away. And I don't even think about it now. I just, um, every song, every thing that I'm writing is just both fiction and autobiography can live together in a way that it doesn't, I don't really, I don't perceive that big of a difference when I'm doing it. Um, I'm just trying to communicate something true. That's what I'm trying to, you know, that's what you're trying to do is to communicate something that feels representative of the feeling that you have that you're trying to get across. Well, I mean, I think anyone who was kind of going through wrestling with their own personal faith at the time, like when Curse Your Branches came out, I'm 39, so a lot of people uh, around that time came out, and then my circles, because I moved away from Tulsa, um, and we were all fans and, and uh, loved, loved your music, and like one by one, like your album came out, and one by one, uh, I feel like we started to actually be more bold, I guess, and the things that we talked about and the ideas that we pursued and, and would deconstruct. Whoa. But I was here in California, they, they were spread around, and it was almost a way, like when that album came out, that I didn't feel so alone, because I was, it was all on our own, too. Um, I had some right. personal things that I was wrestling with. So it's it's pretty crazy that that album, and then through you, some interviews I read and everything, I was like, I, find, I got the realization that it's okay to question the stuff. Like, why am I just, you know, trying to make everything fit? Uh, right. 
why why don't I just embrace these questions? And that kind of started me down the path of being more bold about my questions. I'm sure I lost a lot of Facebook friends and <laughs> I think right. went through kind of the uh um in one of my other podcasts we talk about um kind of when you lose your faith it's kind of a, there's a grief process. So I went through, you know, the all the all the five steps. I think there's five steps of of grief. Of grieving, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you run into a lot of these people cuz you do how the home shows, uh yeah. you do concerts and how do you feel like when when different people are coming up to you and tell you that yeah, your music kind of helped them get through a tough time or actually made them question their their beliefs? Like how do you answer that question but still I'm sure you get a lot. Can you still bring it down to a personal level with them? I should ask first, does this happen quite a bit? Um yeah, enough uh where I have experience with it. Um I tend to um, I mean, there's a feeling of, lo- of loss that I, that I, that, you know, cause I experienced, um, you know, a pretty dramatic shift in my thinking about Christianity as of course we're talking about that. Um, but I, you know, the grief that you're talking about, I experienced that grief and the, the, um, the loss and the kind of ongoing, negotiation with people in your life and those things. It's, it's a, um, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's, um, it's something that, so when people describe that they've experienced that for any reason at all, I, my heart goes out to them and I just, I want, you know, I have the desire to, to, for them to be comforted, you know? Um, but at the same time, I understand the freedom of, um, thinking for yourself and how you just wouldn't go back to the, that other thing. Um, and so I'm glad in that moment. And I think that, you know, that record, um, like anything, but that record is pretty, it's, it's pretty obsessed about this one thing. And it's, it's a unique record in that way. It, it, um, there are a lot of records about God and Christian records at that, you know, about the Christian God and dealing with the themes of the, that, you know, surround the Christian God. But it's not that, it's a really uncommon thing I've, I've, re, I've realized. Um, and so, but I also don't believe that it has the power to cause anybody to, um, lose their faith who, right. Who wouldn't other, who other, if ha- having not heard that record, they would go through the rest of their life with that faith intact. There are those of us who, you know, a, a potent set of ideas that are sort of disruptive, um, to the status quo of our lives. Uh, you know, there are some of us who are just sort of susceptible to that, um, because we have a, some, some amount of distrust of the status quo or the, just what, I don't know. I don't know what, like, people would have described, have said of me that, you know, I wondered if people that were older than me saw my trajectory, you know, when I was, when I was younger, because I've always been somebody who was pushing at the, the, what seems to me the asinine sort of, uh, ways that, 
Christianity would do things in pub, you know, in, in, in the pub, the, in the churches that I grew up in and the, the way that people would act and the values that won out over and over again. Like I was always grinding against that stuff. And so, and now it seems to me that it was inevitable that I was going to grind out of it because now I have a view on what it is that I th- think there was no way for me to, to, I was, I, it was just always, it was gonna, it was just a matter of time, you know? I mean, I've just, some of my buddies I've talked to and they were like, look, I put that record on and I just couldn't listen to it huh. anymore. Like it just put me in a weird place. Huh. And then, you know, and so I know that that's a thing too. Like my music isn't for everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, there are some people who, if they, if their friend made them sat and sit and listen to one of my records all the way through, that it would really, you know, it could really like, um, you know, force them to think about a bunch of stuff that they're just not ready to think about, or I don't know. I don't, everybody's in a different spot, and we all have to sort of hold hold our shit together in spite of um, it not being together. Uh, for certain lengths of time. And so, um, transitions, especially Christian from Christian to non-Christian, uh, evangelical or otherwise are there. There's never a good time for them. You know, does this songwriting and does your kind of dialogues with people you meet on the road, do you feel it's kind of a, for you personally, something to kind of help you continue working through this everything because there's never I, I don't see like an end to my questions or an end to my doubts i have faith in different things but i'm hopeful that i'm i'm trying to be optimistic where i'm gonna find yeah. you know that faith or, or i am gonna find god right if you're not doing this music you know how would you be processing this you know what i mean like does, is music yeah. the catalyst that helps you process everything um well i um i process things verbally um primarily and um but there i've been able to express things through music that i that i don't i don't have the ability to to do that in any other part of my life or or even verbally you know you can have discussions with people all day long but there's something about when you make music there's there's a feeling that intangible sort of feeling that goes along with it and you can connect thoughts and um, feeling together in a way that is, I don't know, you can convey a lot in a, in three minutes where three minutes of conversation you'd never, ever, you know, or 30 minutes, you know, you just couldn't get to that same thing. So I do rely on music for that to some degree. Um, I, I, I think subconsciously, um, from it's hard to find a friend on, I just kind of realized that because it, and I'm saying it's hard to find a friend because that's the record that it was the, the kind of the moment where I became myself, I feel like, or like the, the sort of the public version of myself. Um, that's not the right way to say it. I just matured. It was a moment of maturity. Um, and so since then, songwriting i think i've just unconsciously known that you know i can get at some some big issues here or i can sort of calm some pretty grouchy um you know uh feelings 
this way. Um, and so then when branches, you know, came along, I went, it, you know, that record I wrote reluctantly in a way, hmm. um, up to a certain point, I wanted it to, I wanted to write about other things, um, not about religion anymore, not about drinking, not about marriage, but those were the songs that were coming out, you know, and I, I honestly thought, um, you know, my body was knowing what it was doing, but my brain was still hoping that I was going to be going a different direction. I thought, okay, this will be an EP. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had like six songs and, you know, I was writing more and I thought, it's a record, man. Like, and you actually enjoy playing these songs. So you need to, you know, you need to get down with it. And so then I turned a corner and realized, okay, I can, I can use this, this, you know, songwriting to, to mull some of this stuff over in a way that it will be satisfying. And it turned out that I did do that. And then I got to play those songs you know, a couple hundred times, most, many of them over the next couple years. And, um, that was therapeutic. Um, mm. The songs themselves changed for me. I don't know if from the first time that you heard some of those songs till now, if because your perspective about who, what God is might be different, you know, oh, your yeah. perspective on the record changes as to what is even being said. Uh, it, it happens with most of your records too. I have three kids, so I can't sit and process a full album <laughs> anymore. Right. Um, I kind of do it in parts and it's, and I had, I think when Curse of Branches came out, I had one kid, I got three now and nice work. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. No more. Uh, but every time I put on your albums and I do have a new perspective and that's the, that's what's great. I think about how you do your songwriting is it's not cut and dry. This is exactly what this song is. There's different ways to approach each song. And I think that's what good writing does. I mean, I think, uh, there's a song on strange negotiations. Um, I think, is it the last song? Um, Mm -hmm. won't let go. Oh my God, man. (laughs) When you get this message, I'll be high above the earth Thinking about the promises that I keep When I first heard that song, uh, let's see, I think my I had two kids then, and that, it was, that, that song was great, man. I was traveling a lot, I was, I was commuting a lot for my job, and, and that touched that, you know, that nerve in me as a father and a husband, you know, in, in many ways. And I, I yeah. think when I first heard it, man, I like just tears coming down my eyes. Oh, why? Yeah. Well, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and that's, I, I think I, the rest of my drive home, I can't remember where I was. I think it was, it was dark. I put that song in repeat and I listened to it over and over and over again, all the way home. Oh man, that's so cool. Yeah. I, that one, um, the feeling of that recording, I'm, it was a really high point for me on that mm-hmm. record. It was um, kind of a subtle thing. And maybe an, an, I don't know what I, i sometimes forget that songs on the end of the record. <laughs> um, but then when I get there, I just remember the, I don't know. It was just a happy little, 
accident um, mm-hmm. a, a record that besides that song is so muscular and kind of um you know thumping and then that one has like a i don't know spooky but easy kind of feel to it yeah. so i'm um i'm i'm glad that that you had a moment with that song oh uh, man yeah it's, I feel it's, like it's i did too yeah yeah it's by far one of my favorite songs for sure like it, it's a one i always go back to with with all this in, in your in your dialogues with people and do you still make an effort to kind of be in dialogue with uh, communities and in individuals of faith? Like, is that something you search out or is it something that finds you? And it, and is that a positive or a negative? <laughs> um, I don't think I could avoid it if I wanted to. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, my family, my, on both, both my parents and my, my wife's family and everybody around me um, is Christian and, um, and then, yeah, and then on tour, and I, and friends too here in town. But I have a lot of a lot of friends who are also um, not uh, not Christian. Um, but yeah, and then on the road because of this the the songs that I've sung in the past, and the, the also you know yeah uh, yeah I just run into it everywhere, and um, I haven't had to be intentional about it to to seek it out i guess um and i don't know the um there's a culture shock to some of it that always um that i always forget Mm. is going to be there um I, i always forget that i'm moving i'm 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 my views are evolving and um every now and again you run into people in that world, especially whose views are, are, are either not evolving or now recently we've seen, um, like a, a de-evolution. Um, and, um, so I guess I'm saying that to say that I don't know if I would seek that out. Right. Um, I'm always surprised when I find that and it always, it always hurts a little. Um, Do you run into people, uh, like other people from other, kind of versions of Christianity say more um, Episcopalian, that type of stuff that are more open, more liberal, you know, yeah. Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, honestly, at my shows, um, the majority of people that are at my shows um, have already, you know, yeah, they're just cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're people who are, um, you know, the, the friendliest atheists and Christians <laughs> and everything in between are the least dogmatic, the least, uh, you know, combative. Like in, in my experience, I don't know, I'm not there, at, you know, at the bar afterward all the time, um, seeing what kind of conversations take place. But, um, yeah, so I, I've been lucky that I get to, I get to interact with a really positive element of a sort of a self-selecting group of people, you know? Right. Um, but, um, I, I, man, I just really want Christianity to go away in some, <laughs> in some ways. And so, yeah. um, I'm trying to think like if, if the heat of it kind of died down at some point, um, that's where my concern really lies at this point is I just want, I just want wholeness and healing for the people in that movement. Um, yeah. And right now all of the sanest 
people are being held hostage by something I dare not describe um, because it's not nice and it's, and it's scary. Um, and it's a lot, it's a majority, you know, um, a majority of white Christians, um, uh, are courting antichrist, um, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I don't, if that were to die down, and everything were kind of to go back to some sort of normal and Christianity just sort of shrunk from public life. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I would seek it out. I feel like in terms of trying to, to connect with those voices, I think I would still have plenty of people in my life who represent that. And that would, that seems appropriate. Um, yeah. but I, I honestly feel like that the influence of Christianity, um, in public is so damaging um, so destructive, um, that I just hope that it, I hope it really shrinks from, from public life. Yeah. I I don't, I feel like it's, it's, they've, we and they have polluted enough and they need to go back to the drawing board, um, to their prayer closet and just fucking stay there for a little (laughs) while. You know? Yes, please, please. In, in the documentary, you, there's like a five minute uh, kind of trailer, right? For this documentary that they're finishing up. Yeah. And I really connected when you were talking about, you know, you'd like to be around your family more. And me, I mean, I toured when I was single. I had a single and I waited tables when I was home from tour. I couldn't imagine touring right now, you know, or trying to, to book those tours. I have a lot of friends who are musicians um, and you know, this, this is their job and they tour a lot. And you were saying, you know, you just wanted to try to be around more. And I, I, I'm wondering if that's a, a narrative that the documentary explores, but is this something that you have begun working towards, like touring less, but having it not, you know, uh, impact your family too much? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have, um, uh, for about three years now, I've been working toward it. Um, and it's slow going. Mm-hmm. Um, had some ups and downs, um, sort of misplaced investment for a minute. And, um, so yeah, in 2014, I kind of, my son was getting ready to turn five and I realized that I had been gone for two and a half, uh, two years and maybe seven or eight months of his, of his life, you know, yeah. um, more, more than half. And, uh, it really, it kind of took the wind out of me. Um, and so I got on the horn with Bob and we just set about to try to figure out how to sort of shift the, um, how to shift things around a bit to try to, um, you know, keep me, get me home a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, so 2015, um, I wasn't home any, I didn't really get to, to lay off too much. Um, I brought another guy out and, um, we were attempting to kind of do something. And then 2016, similarly, it just, the, re- you know, a new first new record in years came out and I was wanting to lay low, but I just didn't have this ability to, I, the 
Yeah. I, we needed we needed the dough. We were going to be short. <laughs> and so right. um, both years, I think maybe I shaved like two, 15 days off. I haven't done the math. It, it, mm-hmm. Those two years really fucked me up, to tell you the truth. Um, and um, by the end of 16, um, yeah, but I've been pretty low in general. I'm kind of climbing my way back out. Making care was a big part of that. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of at my lowest point ever, I just realized if I'm I, I basically at the end of 2016, I made a deal with myself that was just like, you can't wait for it to happen. You just have to do what you need to do. Yeah. You have to demand this many days and no more. Um, and then just figure out, and then you just have to figure it out. Um, and so the first of the year came around and, uh, I was looking down the barrel of the year and just realized I really don't, there's no income coming from anywhere. The only thing that I have is touring. Mm-hmm. And right now it's at that, at that time, especially I couldn't in, even entertain the idea of going out. I was so burned out and, uh, just at, you know, I had really hit kind of, uh, I had hit, I had hit bottom, you know, honestly, um, just sort of emotionally. And so I realized, well, the to whatever, you know, I have to do what I can control. Um, there's not a lot that I have control of in this situation, but so I figured, well, the only thing that I know how to do that can sort of is a big ticket thing that can make potentially make some money, um, is to make a record. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I did, and um i'm really glad i did uh it it i don't know it started me back in the right direction but it's still been a it's been a climb yeah and um trying to figure out how to make that shift where i'm staying home more but able to um you know where we don't have to just like slash i mean we you know we already don't eat out or you know you, we drive old cars like <laughs> You know, um, so we're yeah, just trying to figure out how to not disrupt the the way that you know the kids' lives are going at the moment, the activities that they're involved in, um, all that stuff. But but still switch it up, you know, enough to yeah, it's it's been a trick, uh, honestly, um, and one that I haven't fully figured out yet. But um, I've I'm really working on it. Um, and, uh, I guess to finish that up, I've shown to myself that I'm willing to work hard, um, for this, the privilege of doing this job, mm-hmm. um, and to do everything that I can to earn it. I tour more than, you know, uh, more than most. And, uh, uh, and it's not glamorous, you know, that it's just, you, you've got to gut it out. Uh, but I've been trying to, find ways to work smarter um, because uh, I, I just, I couldn't keep, keep up what I was doing before. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not in, not in look my kids in the eye and know that I could have, could have maybe done something to be a part of their lives a little bit more, but I just was too dumb, too lazy to do it. It's funny because when I think about 
what you do and, and touring and everything. And, and I'm like, he, you know, he, he's out there, he gets to work through all this shit he's dealing with faith wise and doubt wise and with all these people. And, but then, uh, but then you look at it, the other hand, it's like, well, you're sacrificing time with your own family and the people in your community, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who really know you. So it's like, it's a, it's a give or take, you know? Well, and I, you basically to live on the road half the time is to, is to forfeit community. Yeah. Uh, and part of the trick was one of the things that was really getting me down is that there was a built in community of being on the road for the most part for the whole time that I've been doing this. Mm-hmm. And that made the, the, what you give up, um, at home community wise easier to deal with because you sort of have this, this tight knit kind of group of people that, you know, you're sharing all these experiences with. And that was really great. But the last few years have been um, doing that alone. Mm -hmm. And so there's no, you don't gain anything on the tour side. You have these sort of, you know, sweet interactions with strangers or (laughs) acquaintances too. And friends, I get to see friends yeah, um, but it's not the same as having friends where you live and cultivating those relationships. And when you're gone half the time, like you just don't get asked to stuff the same mm-hmm. way. You don't. You just have to say no all the time, and that's that's something that you know. In the first couple of years, you can figure it out, but you know, seventeen years in, eighteen, nineteen, geez, <laughs> I guess it'll be twenty years. <laughs> next year of touring. Um, That's ridiculous. It doesn't. Um, yeah. You, it just, that's something that doesn't, that doesn't, you have to work really hard and be lucky also to, yeah. to work it out. Um, yeah. And not, not having like church or something like that, um, which is a little bit of a built in thing. Um, you have to work extra hard for it. And um, if you, if you, you know, if you take your eye off the ball for a minute, suddenly you, you just realize shit, you know, this is <laughs> my native spot is behind the wheel of this car alone. <laughs> Sometimes I see my family and, you know, I used to have close friends. Right. Know, but, right. You know. The nomadic life of a, of a singer songwriter. Yeah. It's <laughs> not, um, I don't think that it's really sustainable. You don't see a lot of people just straight up solo. Um, yeah you know, all the time like that. And the ones who you, who you do see, um, you know, they're crazy. They're a little, <laughs> they're a little nuts. Like we've talked about, you do run into people who, you know, are in, in need for someone to talk to who's gone through it. And, uh, I, I run into that every now and then, even with this, with this show. Um, what advice would you give to someone who's just starting to question their faith or their worldview? And, um, and what have you learned along the way with your own personal journey? Uh, in my opinion, um, you know, fear is a, is a thing that people run into. And um, I just, it's my opinion that the things that cause that fear are there. It's other people. Mm-hmm. That's where that fear is coming from, from the, the institutions in our lives and the people who buy into that and the threat that it is to the, to the kind of the little social order, wherever we're kind of living. Um, when we suggest that we sort of hold a different view than the, than the norm. And in this situation, I'm thinking of people who are sort of socked in, you know, Mm -hmm. go to church from Christian family, having these thoughts and things. 
Um, that's a really difficult thing. Um, the transition is tough. Um, I would say, um, man, I mean, so I would say journal about it, but you gotta be really, I mean, it just depends on what, how dangerous of a situation you're in, in terms right. of, um, uh, of abuse. No, I'm not saying like violent, like somebody's going to kick your ass because you stop being a Christian, but there's, there's the risk of abuse. Yeah. Um, there's psychological it, abuse and yeah. And, and trauma that, you know, abandonment and different things. Um, so it's something to, to be, to be thoughtful about. Um, I guess the main thing is that you're, you're, you know, you're not alone. Um, mm-hmm. millions, billions of people have suffered, um, that sort of loneliness of being a part of a, of a tribe of people that you just don't connect with or that you doubt the, the basic truth claims of their, uh, their system, but you just don't, you can't say anything about it. And that's just a, it's a, it's a heavy situation. And, uh, you, you know, you're, you're not, you're not bad for thinking those things. Um, there's nothing wrong with you, uh, in that, in that way. Um, that's, um, yeah, that the people who want you to be afraid um, some of them have the same thoughts <laughs> and they just can't admit it, you know? Right. Um, I think that's just the thing is, is understanding like the intensity of the, of the, the pressure cooker, the social pressure cooker that Christianity, Protestant Christianity, whatever the, the your religious, you know, um, background is that whatever the religious community is, but, but namely evangelical Christianity at this point in history, um, it's just, it wasn't always this way. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a, this is a, this is not a normal version of, um, this is leaning toward the, the worst aspects of institutional Christianity. And it's okay to, I basically just like, you gotta, you gotta trust your feelings about stuff like that. If your intuition says like, don't keep going this direction, you should listen, um, and talk to somebody about it. If you can find somebody who's safe to talk to, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, so, and I'm talking about it in kind of a worst case scenario. And I guess that's the person who you're I'm most worried about and yeah. I'm most concerned about. For a lot of people, it's going to be a lot easier than what I'm describing. But there are some people who are just in a spot where they're particularly lonely, but you know, they have no nobody to talk to or nobody to to express this stuff. Um, yeah, and that I mean, and that was my my biggest thing was the communication. The you know, I would try to talk to my wife about it, and and it would just turn into into an argument because <laughs> we were on completely different wavelengths with this stuff and. And, uh, it, 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 there, she was, un, unfortunately, I mean, she's my best friend, but unfortunately at that time, like I, I could not talk to her about that. Um, talk about that. How, how, um, that's an important, I mean, everybody's transition is, is going to be different because of all those factors, but what was yeah. your, what, I mean, did, how long did it take 
before there was a little bit oh. of peace. Oh man, it was a good, yeah, it was a good couple of years because I started yeah. this podcast up to kind of at least get my voice out there and process my way of processing this stuff. Yeah, and then uh, a buddy of mine that I knew who I knew him from a Christian band that I'd worked with. He had was going through the same stuff, so him and I connected. He had read a lot more than me. He'd actually read like you know Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens <laughs> stuff right. like that. And uh, so he was someone we don't you know that I can call, email, chat. We, we can always talk to. And I worked with him on the show when I was getting this started. But for my wife, it was you know I would not want to go to church. Uh, I, I did yeah. not want. I was very combative towards any religious talk. And now we, then we have kids and hear them, yeah. you know, like, how yeah. are we going to raise these kids up? And, um, I, th- I feel like we've, we've gone through a lot and we're at a, a really good spot and I'm going to be talking with her. I mean, I, I know I want to share our story for, uh, for a future episode for sure. And, yeah. but I think we're at a, we finally got to a point now where we got to a point where it was, you know, she says as as long as you're seeking truth, as long mm-hmm. as, you know, as long as you love our kids, as long as, you know, she was, she said, as long as you love me, like those are the things that matter. Yeah. And as, as long as you're not going to throw the baby out with the bath of water, you know, yeah. as, as long as you're just not going to full on stop, uh, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in any right. of this bullshit, <clears throat> you know, yeah. I'm well, that, still, I'm still very open point. to going to church with, with her and stuff. And yeah. And, and those, those are all negotiations that, I mean, if you're married, for instance, it can be, you know, it, like, uh, really tricky. Mm-hmm. If you're, you both go to church and that, you know, I've, I'm, I'm aware of marriages that, that, that did not withstand that. Um, yeah. and, um, yeah, that I'm so glad to hear. And I think that hearing specifics of people's experience can, sort of remind people of like, yeah, there, you have to sort of figure this stuff out. I mean, it's an ongoing thing. <laughs> it's not just a decision that you come to. And also I say decision. Um, you know, if somebody is wrestling with this stuff, it, it's not their fault. <laughs> they didn't do, they didn't do that on purpose. They didn't have this, uh, you know, they didn't. Um, and the notion that some people might suggest, well, if you just would stay away from all any of that stuff, then you wouldn't have ever, that's just not how it works. Yeah. Um, there is just data coming at us all the time and our brains for this, for our own safety are attempting to process all of the value claims that are coming in constantly. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, it's helpful to, to understand. I think that it, this isn't something that any of anybody necessarily chooses. This is, there's just data in the world and we respond to it. And, I mean, and- I, I wish I could be ignorant <laughs> to certain things. It's like, I wish I could just turn that off at some, sometimes when it causes a lot of stress and fractures relationships. It's like, I, I wish I was not wired this way, but you know, I was wired to pick at the scab, <laughs> you know, yeah. just to just pick away and, and, uh, you know, a lot like you just I'll dig deeper into the matter and, and not take just take someone's word for it, you know. But when I really like what you're what you're saying that your wife, what her message was, which was, it, it's indicative of this thing that when when there is a shift like that in my relationship with my wife too, it causes you to really evaluate what is a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think a lot of people think that if my spouse stops believing in God, that that is a deal breaker. But then when it happens, you realize that, no, it's not. It's not a deal breaker. And it only ever tends to be a deal breaker when the person's community insists that that is the case, too. You know what I mean? That's where... Um, because it's hard to look to, to it's, it really doesn't make any sense to, if you're in a relatively healthy relationship and you love the other person and you're seeing the anguish of this transition, Mm -hmm. how, how would you, um, you know, if, 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 if that is being shared, I guess, that's that's one thing that um, if you um, my wife the what I was going through was visible um, it was upsetting to me um, mm-hmm. and she knew that there was a struggle in it and so it's just hard for me to uh, I just want to encourage people that um, things that you think are deal breakers when, when you get there, you realize that you love this person and mm-hmm. the, the deal breaker would be if they stopped loving, you, you know, or if they, right. but, but like you're saying shy of like, and the other thing is it, it, it may be sort of not a norm yet that people quit Christianity so that they can be better people. Um, cause that is something that that's what, something my dad said to me. Uh, is he was like, it's just a little hard to process because usually people stop believing in Christianity because they want to leave their wife or something, <laughs> or they want to justify doing hard drugs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on a regular basis or something. And he said, I feel like that you're, you're leaving this because you genuinely want to be better than you are. Um, and so that's a good point that your wife implies too, is that as long as you're seeking truth, like if you left this, and because you wanted to start doing a bunch of things that I'm uncomfortable with, mm-hmm. um, that would be a different situation. And that's right. what we're used to as- associating with leaving Christianity. Right. I mean, no, no cocaine or orgies were on the agenda. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, that, and so, but that's a, di- that's a, a different thing that and maybe that was never the that was never the main reason why people left christianity <laughs> but now i think that there maybe is an uptick in people who are like you know i'm down with the values of, of a lot of the values that i got from christianity but the way that they're applied or the the other values that sort of coexist within that within that system of thinking i just mm-hmm. can't abide by and so i want to i want to do something that sort of transcends what yeah, the Christianity that I came from is is about or willing to be about or or whatever. But so those are those are really in, to me the answer to the original question that you said. What advice would you give? Seek out people talking about this. If you're not ready to talk about it with somebody, or there isn't anybody to talk about, there are podcasts like this one that you just listened to. You're already doing it, but like the more the the more it can be brought to sort of human scale the the problem and the more that you know and i'm not saying like oh everything's going to be fine because you know that's just not you there there might be people in your life who just can't deal with it and and you lose important relationships because of it um i hope that's not the case but you know the more stories people's stories that you can seek out the more you can get around 
people who eventually are will, willing and, and interested in hearing your story. Um, yeah. If you're timid about it or you, you feel like you need time before coming out to anybody um, about whatever it is, but we're talking about Christianity right now, but if you're having these doubts, it is coming out. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to admit this shit to somebody at some point or else it'll eat you up inside. Yeah. So that's yeah. the other thing that if, if this is kind of blossomed inside your brain, um, you just start working on a plan to confide in somebody to, to get it out. Um, even if it's, you know, maybe there's anonymous things that you can do where you call up a hotline or something, you know, and just talk, talking about it is important. Um, these are really heavy feelings and they're like core ideas uh, for a lot of us, especially if you grew up Christian. And so get ready for some grief. Um, yeah. As you've already talked about Sean. Um, and yeah, but I, I, the, the funny thing is I didn't, and I've said this before on the show, like I didn't realize what I was going through. And I, this whole, every, my whole journey sparked from, uh, losing my brother-in-law in a car accident. And, oh man. And, uh, so I'd already gone through that grief and here I was again, a couple years later, just having those feelings coming up again and not really knowing how to process them. Yeah. So I think once I realized what was going on, that was when a lot of the anger went yeah. away because I was, I was one of those angry guys on Facebook <laughs> and when brought up yeah. religion, I'm zeroing in on you, you know? And, oh, I love that, man. That's such a, a sensitive <laughs> place to be in. Oh, oh my man. God. But, but once I realized what was going on, Oh, I'm in the anger face. Yeah. Uh, that was when I can go through that and, um, move forward into something healthy and my yeah. wife and I like we don't believe the same exact things but we have some really great conversations That's and amazing. we're able to to talk about it and and yeah. she's had some frustrations with the church and uh, recently and but we're able to talk about this stuff and I think and and that's important and not everyone is in in that situation and yeah. if you can find a way to find that common ground with the people you love and yeah. that's where you got to get past the anger because I think yeah. the anger is what ruins all that. And I think we, my wife and I were at a spot where it was consuming me and I really could have ruined our marriage if, yeah. if I, if we did not uh, communicate. And is, is there something that you can point to that you think um, helped you? Maybe you just said it, but just to be clear that it helped you past the, the, that anger stage. Was there, I think it was when I realized I was going through the stages of grief again. Like I realized the symptoms oh, was amazing. causing it. Yeah, you know, like, uh, and I didn't, but, but I think I had. But it's like you have to go through that anger, though. You have to. Yeah. I mean, I listened to I listened to the the liturgist podcast which you've been on, and Michael Gunger talks a lot about. He talks about it as a deconstruction, and and that helped that processing it that way too. It's like you're not you're not just going to abandon everything. Like if you abandon everything, you're all alone. Like if you want to, if you deconstruct or break something down then you're going to want to rebuild it. So that's when I started thinking of it in those terms of, I'm not abandoning my faith. I'm not abandoning, abandoning my worldview. I'm breaking it down, starting from the beginning. And that's always the, you know, you demolish a building. The hardest part is clearing everything away to start the building again. But once yeah. I started thinking of it in those terms, um, but this is just a building that's probably never going to be finished. And, yeah. you know, 
don't, I, I remember my wife putting, almost putting like a timeline on it. And that wasn't, that wasn't good. And right. but once I started reading more things and her and I talking about more things and me realizing that this is just my life journey, like, right. I'm never going to get to know it all, but right. if I embrace it and move forward and enjoy it, like enjoy the journey, enjoy learning new stuff, enjoy the conversations. And, you know, now I only get well, angry at like uh, the friggin' you know, at the current administration as of late. You know, I get angry when yeah. people are repressed, right? Like that's when my anger gets stirred now. And I think that's a positive anger. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I get angry sometimes too. And I think that it's good. Um, also, sometimes I realize that it's, it's a, it's a response to despair. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I realize that it's despair, I don't, I, I find myself not having to express the anger in the same way when I realize like, Oh, you're, you're, you're desperately sad <laughs> about <laughs> this thing happening. And the way that you're realizing to communicate it is, is in your anger and you should be angry about it. But that I realize when I realize that it's despair, um, uh, it's easier for me to communicate all of it um, <laughs> rather than just sort of like the popping off kind of like angry part of it. Um, <laughs> and I learned that from that. Um, what do you do with the mad that you feel? Um, there's that Fred Rogers um, testifying before the Congress or the Senate uh, okay. in 1967, I think. He's basically arguing for why they should grant PBS this big bond or this big amount of money. And uh, it's amazing. Could I tell you the words of one of the songs which I feel is very important? Yes. This has to do with that good feeling of control, which I feel that the children need to know is there. And it starts out, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And that first line came straight from a child. I work with children do, doing puppets in, in very personal communication with small groups. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad you could bite. When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, stop, stop anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady, and a boy can be someday a man. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. Looks like you just earned the $20 million. He hints at a bunch of that stuff, but yeah, despair, um, over, I mean, just, just disappointment over how people actually are, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, 
That's a, it's, this year has been such a harsh toke in that way. Um, like really you're that mean and you're that sort of callous to the needs of children. <laughs> I mean, it just feels like I, it, it, it drives me crazy. I, and that's the thing. Like my wife had to be like, look, we can't talk about Trump anymore. <laughs> we just right. can't. Cause that's going to stir up my, <laughs> my, my rage. But, but yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. Like, uh, here, why am I defending common decency? <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, like that's yeah. where I almost can't even comprehend it. <laughs> well, and hopefully this is a, you know, I mean, it revealed, it, it's good in a sense because it, it reveals what's actually been there the whole time. It's just all sort of bubbled up to the surface now. And then now we can sort of deal with it. But it's taken me a second to get past the, the grieving about it. I think I'm still in that phase. Yeah. I think really am grieving what we actually are. I right. knew we were, I knew we were, something was rotten, but I didn't know to what degree, um, just how rotten, uh, yeah. Uh, this population of people has gotten, you know, I'm hoping I mean, this is the optimist in me, you yeah. know, I'm hoping it comes to a head. I think it and, is. And I feel like it is too. And, uh, we, the fruit of their labor, you know, we start seeing that the spoiled fruit that it is. And, yep. uh, I was just like, I mean, I'm, I want to defend common decency. I want to, yes. you know, that's, that's, that's it. And if that's, if if that's putting me, you know, on the wrong side of history, then I guess, you know, in their view, you know, I guess that's where I am. But um, I I refuse to believe that. I refuse that if you're standing up for people. And but that's and that's where I come back around to 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 Jesus, right? That's like mm-hmm. the message of Jesus has been completely lost on the modern yeah. evangelical Christian, like completely. And, yeah. and that's what I keep going to, going to back to. to read or to avoid the good Samaritan and to avoid, you know, uh, if you've done it for the least of these, if if, you're trying to spin those verses to mean something, then we all know that they've meant (laughs) our entire lives. Um, it starts to get, it's, um, it starts to get absurd. Like it, it, now it's like a farce. It's like a, it's like a dystopian farce. Um, (laughs) But, you know, there are, there are, there are developments, you know, mm-hmm. so this thing is, I think that these, that guy is too stupid to, to survive. Um, and I think enough people are seeing it where there's going to be able to be some, um, yeah, some resolution to this thing, but we still have to deal with the fact that all of this sentiment came to the surface and yeah. then you still have the Fox news is in the Rush Limbaugh's, uh, Rush Limbaugh's limbaugh's of the world who um are really intent on sowing um this kind of chaos again yeah um but the good news is is that rush limbaugh is gonna die very soon <laughs> well that's what i keep thinking too like these guys I mean you know and the boomers are all gonna die in the yeah. next 25 years more you know <laughs> the majority of them are gonna be gone and that's my aunts and uncles and um you know, my mom and dad, and I'm going to miss them dearly, but yeah, man, I don't, I really think that there's just a lot of this, um, rotten thinking is sort of focused in that, 
in that age group for some unknown or knowable, but I don't want to get into it reason. Yeah. And, uh, That's a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. But so it's, those are positive things that, you know, but it's, it's a long time to wait. And what, what kind of damage is going to be done in the meantime? It's, it's troubling. Um, yeah. but, but the, for me, what I feel like is that I'm, I feel like I'm getting close to being done with some major portion of the grieving process of, mm-hmm. over what has sort of come to light and what has really hit home about who we are as a, as a country. Um, and once I, I feel like for me, that process is, is done, then I can sort of get on with it a bit. Um, and you know, you've maybe people, if anybody who's listening to this follows me on Twitter, that that's, you know, the form that takes is I just have been a little quieter on there the last yeah. little bit. Um, cause you just don't know what to say. Like you, you want to go on there and just say fucking told you so. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and it's also, it's also salacious and you don't want to, I don't know. So there's a, so jump, you know, now that we're, we're talking about this thing that I feel like there's a grieving process there too, that a lot of us who are paying attention to certain things are going through mm-hmm. and maybe people have already gone through it and, are, and have moved on. Um, I, I, I really feel like I'm still in it and I'm, to the degree that I've re- re- realized that recently, it's like, okay, then do it, focus on it and let, and let that be what it is because you need to really, you need to really turn the corner, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, be able to offer some, something besides just gloom and doom. <laughs> well, I mean, um, I mean, your, your music really has, it, it has helped a, a lot of people, you know, and a lot of people I talk to, speak very highly of you and your, and your music through their, their, you know, deconstruction or, or whatever it is. And I think that's, that's really cool, man. Like that's, it it shows that something's there and, you know, there's a purpose for all the doom and gloom, right? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Well, and I, and I don't mean to suggest that everything I've done is only doom and gloom, but just recently I I don't have that. But I also believe that, I mean, I, I'm not going to apologize for the tone also of like, it's taken me a long time to realize that because, you know, for years you get people saying like, why can't you write a happy song, man? (laughs) And I think, (laughs) I don't know. Why can't I write a happy song? Um, but I'm also not going to try to twist myself up into knots, um, to be something that I'm not. And so I'm, I am glad that it's been earnest, you know, and it's been, um, uh, not motivated by uh, seeking glory or whatever, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. There's like, a, mm-hmm. um, and so to the, so I'm glad that that it's landed with some people that you know so many humans have done their best work under those same sort of conditions, total earnestness, and mm-hmm. um, you know doing it for pretty pretty rad reasons and. They don't get an audience. They don't feel less alone because it's not transmitted. And so I'm really grateful to be one of the ones who lucked out and my shit is being transmitted to people. And I'm glad that it's helped some, some folks. Um, yeah. but I don't, and I, and I hope that a lot of the other hidden work of, you know, people who are got their finger on it even more than I do, um, 
you know, sees the light of day more and more and that thoughtful work of all kinds, um, rises to the top or to the, to the surface enough for people to hear it and to, yeah. to connect with it. Um, so yeah, but I'm grateful to be, to be one of those people who are, you know, for better or worse, trying to do thoughtful. Yeah. I think earnestness and honesty goes a long way and, no matter what you're doing, right? No matter what job you're in, whatever you do for a living, I think earnestness and honesty will get you places. Yeah, plus competency. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. But uh, I think that goes a lot farther and makes more of an impact. I mean, it's funny. One of my one of my friends on on Facebook here, I let people know I was talking to you, and if anyone had any questions, uh, he's he's from Florida, and he see, he said. Uh, you know, you took him to a steak and shake after a show. Yeah. <laughs> so I've done that. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> that those are fun nights, man. The after show steak and shake. That usually means <laughs> you're still riding pretty high on the night. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Dave, thank you so much for for taking the time and and like like I said, being so generous. I didn't mean for it to go this long, and I just really appreciate right. you talking to me about all this. And I really do wish you all the best. Yeah, you too, man. Thank you so much. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. It's been a lot of fun bringing this series, processing belief through music, uh, to all of you. It's just been wonderful to be able to talk to these insanely talented musicians, T.W. Walsh, Derek Webb, and David Bazan. You can find all their music. There should be links in all the show notes for these past three episodes. For David Bazan, you can check out his music over at davidbazan.com. His album is released through Undertow Records. You can check out Undertow Records as well. His albums are over at undertowstore.com. And also keep an eye out uh, for T.W. Walsh and David Bazan's side project, Low Tom. It's out July 14th, and it is fantastic. Highly recommended. Please uh, grab that album, pre-order it, make sure you listen to it. You're not going to regret it. social media links you can go over to the axpx.com please if you like what we're doing here and you want to support the show um, i highly recommend you check out our patreon patreon.com slash the axpx i do a weekly podcast kind of parsing my journey it's called the axpx diaries and it's something for me to just to get my feelings out there and hopefully start some dialogue with uh, with you If you're someone who has just started to deconstruct or just just started to kind of doubt your worldview, your your that's been set in through uh, how you were raised or uh, or your community, 
I started this podcast as kind of a safe place to discuss all this stuff. And my whole goal was to try to create some sort of community that's safe to challenge, safe to ask questions. And if you're someone who is needing someone to talk to, needing some sense of community, please drop me a line. My email is sean at theaxpx.com. You can go to theaxpx.com, click on the contact link. You can drop me a note right there. I'm also available on Twitter at theaxpx. And if you're just needing to just talk some things out, please feel free to call the voicemail line. Sometimes it's better just to kind of talk some shit out. So 951-723-5586 is the voicemail line. Again, that's 951-723-5586. If you're needing someone to talk to, someone just to, to listen, please leave a voicemail. Even if you don't want to leave everything right there, just leave a quick voicemail, leave your number. I would be happy to call you and, and, and talk to you. Because that's what it's really all about when we're in our seasons of our life where we're questioning a lot. Sometimes it helps, most of the time, all the time. I don't know, it helps to find someone else, to have community with someone else, and to talk about things. And a lot of the times that's not available. So, like I said, the AXPX podcast, what I'm trying to do here is create some sort of safe space for everyone to be able to pursue truth wherever that takes them. And uh, please drop me a line if, if you need someone to talk to. I'd be happy to talk. That's going to do it for this week's episode. I have so many great episodes on the way. I'm really excited about the, the, the future of this podcast. A lot of great conversations and topics to tackle. Probably going to take a couple weeks to kind of get the next few episodes in gear. And I will talk to all of you then. Bye.